Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are now live on a conversation with, and the guest that I have today is just absolutely amazing. She is a part of an amazing duo, and I, I just can't say enough about this company. I'm about to have a conversation with Brenda Gilbert, the co-founder of Bron Media Corporation. Now, I'm just going to give you guys a slight background on who we're about to talk to. Uh, Brenda Gilbert is the co-founder of Bron Media Corporation. And I'm actually reading because this is such an extensive resume that I just could not memorize it all. So I'm going to I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going to read. Now, the company is based in Vancouver and they have five. They have offices in Los Angeles. They have offices in New York, London, Toronto. And uh, they have the uh, Brown Creative Division. They have Brown Animation. They have Brown Digital, Brown Life, Brown Releasing. Now, let me tell you about a couple of the films that more than likely you've clicked on. Joker, Judas and the Black Messiah, Fatherhood which right now is number one on Netflix. Kevin Hart, phenomenal film. Go see it. You will not believe the performance that Kevin Hart gives. Now, she's right now focusing on Brown Life, which is her company's non-scripted um, division where she's passionate about social impact. And that was one of the things that I really liked about Brenda when I was, you know, doing my research on her to have her come on the show. She also sits on the board of Film Independent. Now, if we have any filmmakers out there, you are well aware of what Film Independent is all about. Uh, you know, helping filmmakers realize their dreams, helping filmmakers be professional and consummate filmmakers. She is... Uh, but they just did an animation division. She's, as I said, she sits on the board of, uh, I'm a little nervous, Film Independent. She um, has initiatives with women in animation. She's an advisor to the Vancouver Film School, LaSalle College. There are so many things that we're going to get into. Um, so without further ado, and I'm normally not this tongue-tied, ladies and gentlemen. Just let me say, I'm normally not this tongue-tied, but I, I am just so excited to have her here Brenda, welcome to a conversation with How Are You? I'm so great, Floyd. Thank you. I'm honored, honored, honored for you to have me here today and put me on this platform. And, you know, I was, I don't usually like doing this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but because you are a person of color, I knew that I didn't have to have my guard up. I knew it would be an honest, candid you know, very fluid conversation. Um, and, you know, we are like-minded, mission-aligned people. What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for joining A Conversation With, a podcast for and about real independent filmmakers. There's absolutely nothing Hollywood about this podcast, and we're going to dive into what it takes to make a successful independent film on a shoestring budget. We all know how that is. So we're going to talk to some content creators. We're going to talk to some film festival curators. We're going to talk with screenwriters. We're going to talk with actors and actresses to get an insight on what it takes to make a successful independent film, what it takes to be a successful content creator, 
we're going to run the entire gamut of the real independent film industry so we are so excited to have you with us so sit back and enjoy a conversation with and i'm your host floyd marshall jr well thank you for that and and, and that is so true and you know that was one of the things that initially drew me to you after our initial clubhouse meeting after i did a little research i was i was absolutely blown away by everything that you've accomplished over the last 20 years. So what I'd like to do is kind of go back to the very beginning before film and all of that. And, and I was just curious because I was wondering, were you always someone that wanted to be in the creative space? How, how, how did you become the Brenda that you are today as far as film? Where did it start? Um, that's a very interesting question. So, um, I always loved the creative of anything, whether it was drawing, whether it was fashion, whether it was writing. And, um, I was one of these kids that was kind of weird because I also did very well in school. Um, and I was encouraged to pursue, um, uh, sort of academia in business as opposed to creative, just because it was seen as much more of a tangible career choice as opposed to, you know, being in the creative space. Mm -hmm. um, and I also wanted to be an actor at one point in time. So I did do some background work on um, some of you might not know, but Romeo Must Die. Um, yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And, and then I think it was a two part series um, Aftershock as well with Cicely Tyson. And this is this is in the 90s. So it's dating me a little bit, uh, Floyd. So um, fast forward a little bit, I was working in corporate because I had to pay the bills. And um, I met my husband, who is also the co-founder of Braun. Um, so the BR is just just a background just on the, the lettering of the, the company. BR is Brenda and the ON is Aaron. So everything that we put our names on Literally, we put our names on. So um, that's why it's very important for us to put the content out there that we do. Um, but getting back to my background is I went to school for business. Uh, I have a minor in sociology. I always loved the social sciences, um, always loved fashion and still to this day help out, you know, uh, individuals in the, within the fashion industry. Um, and, and then um, um, when I was working at essentially a merchant bank, I met my husband who at the time, that's Aaron, um, at the time was in the music business. So he had his own company. Uh, he was a music supervisor. He had his own catalog of music. So he's, you know, in the licensing business as well. Um, and we both loved film. We still love music to this day. Some of our movies and some of our content is very musically driven. Um, and essentially we, um, had financed or put some financing up for a particular film. Um, and, um, we realized, or we wanted to, um, open up shop as, as Braun. And it took us a while to get to that name because we were trying to be really clever. Right. We were trying to be something that, you know, sort of exemplified strength, something that was interesting. Um, and came up with with Braun just because it was the, the lettering of our names. And so we opened up shop as Braun Studios initially, uh, incorporated the company in September of 2009. And why I remember that distinctly is that was the month, the birth month of my third child. Okay. So less than a month old. 
five-year-old and an eight-year-old. So literally wow. a baby on my hip. Um, so all to say is sometimes, you know, as entrepreneurs, we sort of lead by gut and, and you know, what makes sense to us at the time and then try to figure out the rest later. So we incorporated in 2009, but we didn't open up shop officially until 2010 with a handful of employees. That's that's sort of how it started. I'm, you know, there's there's a lot that went into that. You know, it's not just as easy as I'm making it sound because you have to be very methodical just in terms of opening up a business and having a business plan and strategy. Um, but yeah, we opened up shop in 2010, um, and as founder-led companies, or you know, you have to do a lot of you know everything. So in terms of departments, there weren't established departments. So I was leading human resources up until just about 50 employees um, um, doing the office, the facilities work, looking over business plans and summaries, (laughs) contract negotiations. So essentially, you know, four or five departments uh, all the while is, you know, not to negate and diminish what my husband was doing. He was raising the financing and, you know, negotiating deals and things like that on our collective behalf. So um, it was a lot um, and with five or six credit cards maxed out. So it wasn't somebody that was giving us money. We To this date, we've never had a corporate backer. Um, uh, so it's really a family owned business currently. Wow, that that is that is very interesting. So for 10 years, you guys were basically private and then you went public. Did I get that right? We haven't gone public yet. Oh, so you have not gone public yet. We have not gone public yet. Oh, wow. So now it was is that is that a choice by by choice? I think I think for the time being. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting as as entrepreneurs, as as founder led, um, you know, owners of a particular company, is that you sort of have to see what is best for the company, right. what is best in terms of what you want to do, having a you know a business strategy. Um, we don't have a crystal ball, uh, as we know, and a lot of us have been put into a place where we've had to adapt and pivot, especially during COVID. And now that things are opening up, is you know what is the consumption for content? It's it's vast. We want you know great, clever content that makes you think that can continue a conversation beyond the medium that it's consumed, that has that emotionality to it, that is socially impactful. Um, And, you know, uh, for me personally, to propel people to become positive change makers, that's what I want. So as a person of color, being in a male dominated business, now it's interesting because this question kind of kept me up all night. As, as a person of color in, a, in, a, in, a, in an industry dominated by male, white counterparts, and especially being a woman, what issues did you, did you face when the company was, was first starting? Because I'm, I'm probably sensing that there was an issue as far as is she is she credible? Can she do this? Is she qualified to do this? Because, you know, as as entrepreneurs of color, that's something that we face all the time. And now you're talking about running a company where you're dealing with finances and you're talking about financing films. So can you speak to that a little bit? Um, how how did you navigate those particular instances or situations when they arose? It's it's a it's an interesting question, um, and you kind of have to be 
really committed to what you believe and what you're trying to do, first and foremost. Um, once you have that in mind, the way that you navigate it is uh, sometimes with frustration, um, you know, particularly behind closed doors. A lot of times when you walk into a room, as, as you know, Floyd, it's people look to see who you are, who you're with, and what you're wearing. Um, and I think you get to a place over time when you have that confidence and that level of commitment that that's going to supersede everything else um, because you now have a resume, you are talking to you know the major studio heads, you are putting content out there that people are wanting to talk about um, and to watch um, and to also do something about in terms of the content within you know the the um, the particular projects that you're making. So how did I navigate? Is you know with a lot of uh, sheer will determination, tears, um, lots of frustration, like I said earlier, anger, um, but not outwardly. Like my demeanor is normally very, very calm. Um, so I had to definitely prove myself time and time again, even as recent as last year when I was told that um, I don't know anything about the film industry. Um, and my response was, nobody knows everything about the film industry. Think about 10 years ago when we, or 10 and a half years ago when we opened up shop, when Netflix wasn't, you know, a premium streamer. Um, there was no Amazon, there was no Hulu, right? There wasn't and all these other platforms that we can consume content, including Apple. Um, so I've had to definitely work harder than a lot of people, including my male counterparts. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had to basically be quiet because I think that the work speaks for itself. A lot of what I do is behind the scenes because um, I don't like being in front of the camera. I, even with the background work that I did, you know, many years ago, is that I'm not scared of hard work. I just don't like to be in the limelight, and I like to give other people opportunity and access, which is really, really important. So having to sort of fight my way. But in my way, as opposed to being, you know, perceived as an, another angry person of color, right. um, ranting and raving and uh, wanting what's not necessarily there. So I've had a lot of negativity come my way for sure, um, with internally as well, um, you know, with with, uh, you know, with some of the the people that we've worked with um, that you hear by the grapevine, you know. Um, and so to me is just, you know, hold your head up high work on what you think is meaningful, be as collaborative as you can and as inclusive as you can, and that's what's going to shine through. So, Nan, I got to back up. I got to back <laughs> up because someone actually said to you that you don't know what you're doing. With everything that you've accomplished along with your husband, and then someone had the nerve to say that you don't know what you're doing. And I think that's just a lesson that all of us need to really take to heart because it really doesn't depend or it doesn't matter how far you get, how whatever it is that you do, there's always going to be a naysayer that tries to tear you down. So with that, basically what you just said to everyone is that's going to happen. What do you do with it? How do you handle it? There's two ways you can do this. You can feed into what they're saying and it'll take you off your square or you can move forward, do the work, 
let the work speak for itself. And when someone says, well, you know what, you don't know what you're doing, then you just refer them to those 27 nominations and say <laughs> that that's basically me not knowing what I'm doing. If, if you're looking at me having the number one film on Netflix, that's me not knowing what I'm doing. If you're looking at our body of work, that's me not knowing what I'm doing. So if that constitutes you not know what, knowing what you're doing, I think there are a lot of people that are listening now and that will be listening in the future will ask to sign up for that particular type of, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I just had to say that because that, that really uh, took me aback. But let, a question for you. So you guys have a phenomenal stable of films. I, I was just researching and just looking at all of the films that, that, that have, you know, um, come from, from Braun and some I've seen, some that I have not. And the, the question I have for you is, how, how's the selection process? Because I'm sure that someone will send you a script. So what goes into the selection process that, that you and your husband, or Aaron, I'm sorry, will say, hey, you know what? This is a project that we can actually get behind. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to address another thing is, you know, um, in terms of not knowing anything is we have a wonderful team supporting us in mm -hmm. multiple departments as well. So I want to really give a shout out to to all of them that work so hard and that have been really dedicated and loyal to us, especially during COVID and during these crazy times. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of your question with the selection process is, um, and I may have alluded to it already earlier, is that emotional connectivity. It starts with a story. Mm -hmm. um, and we look at, you know, themes and stories that can travel globally, um, which is really, really important and also told in a very unique way. We also want to work with filmmakers and storytellers that can bring things, you know, from paper to screen in such a way that you can question as well and, and also think about things in a different way and then also think about um, ways that you can have these conversations with your children, with your peers, with your colleagues as well. And also tackling very difficult topics um, that, you know, can be, you know, those tear jerkers that can evoke these emotions of anger that also can make you happy and, you know, content and things like that, but also to provide you with hope and inspiration and aspiration. So now, 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 do you and Aaron actually read the scripts or do you actually have a team of people that read the scripts or does it go to a team and then they say, hey, you know what, we're going to kick this up and, and let them take a look at it. And then the final decision is made. Um, it's, it's, it's a few things. So we don't take any unsolicited scripts right now, mm -hmm. uh, but we do have a team that looks at scripts. Um, initially when we started off, yes, we looked at every single script that okay. was sent our way. Um, but as the company expanded and the visibility of the company increased is we get more and more submissions. And so we do have um, a film group led by Brady Fujikawa and his team that look at the scripts and do, you know, break down and do the coverage and whatnot. Um, and we also on the TV side is the same thing, the unscripted side as well. And so we do have teams that will say to us is, you know what, we look at the script. Um, I think it's really clever. It's really great. we got to make this movie and then we'll look at it. There are times that 
we've had, um, say, like a Jason Reitman, who we did Tully and Frontrunner with, um, that will will pass the script on to us. And also he suggested that we be a part of Ghostbusters as well. Um, so, of course, we're going to to listen up and, and, and look at things like that when it comes from a co former co-producing partner or if it comes from a colleague that we've worked directly in our, and, and are good friends with. So mm -hmm. um, it, it, it kind of it kind of all depends. Right. Because we get honestly lots of submissions per day and me directly as well. Hmm. So and the reason that I ask that question is because so often you'll have a screenwriter say, I'm going to make a movie and then it's going to end up on Netflix in six months. And, and I just really wanted them to understand the process that goes into, you know, how things are done the correct way. And the fact that your story must be tight. Hmm. It, it, it just has to be because, I mean, and you just said it because you guys get so many submissions. So, well, let me ask you this. Have you, have you guys ever gotten something and you were a little hesitant and you said, you know what, how about this? Let's send it back because there's something there. I don't know what it is, but it's something there that I think that we may be able to work with, but it needs to be tightened up. Have you guys ever um, had a situation where you where you ran across a script or scripts like that and then actually sent them back and say, hey, tell you what, why don't you do some more rewrites, notes, whatever, and then send it back to us and let's see what happens. Have, has, that, has that ever happened? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, for all the screenwriters out there, it takes many iterations, right, for that script to get on screen, as you know, Floyd. And, um, yeah, we've had many instances where we um, ask, obviously, if a filmmaker, screenwriter wants to get that feedback, because sometimes they're like, no, I'm very content. I don't want to change it. This is what I believe in. This is my story, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we ask, you know, if they would be open to doing a rewrite um, and changing maybe a few things around, whether it's the characters or the scenery, um, because sometimes, you know, with some of our movies, we also think, where could this be filmed? Um, you know, maybe the landscape is a little bit different. Maybe we film it over here um, where it's more tax credit and tax incentive friendly as opposed to, you know, another region, another state, another province. So definitely we've done that. Um, there's no sort of template to it. There's not a consistency. It all depends on the project and, and the willingness of the, the writer for feedback. Okay. Sounds interesting. Now, I, I, we're going to talk about some of these amazing films. And the first one that I really want to talk about is Fatherhood. Because I was scrolling through Netflix a couple of days ago with my wife, and that popped up. We saw the trailer, and we said, well, you know what? Let's watch this. And I was so... I am so used to... This is why I was shocked. Because I'm used to Kevin Hart being a comedic actor. I've seen him in situations where within the scope of the comedic film, he'll be serious. But I've never seen the reverse where in the scope of a serious film, he would show some comedy. And I didn't know what to expect. And what I saw was definitely 
what I did not expect. And I'm not going to ruin it for anyone because I want people to really go watch this film because it really is that good. And I, I was just really surprised. And this is, this is how I know when the film is really getting to me. Uh, my, my wife and my kids tell me that I'm a crier. So in certain instances, watching fatherhood as a father of, of two phenomenal young ladies and as a husband, when certain things happen within the film, I could see my, I could feel myself getting emotional because I could relate, which is the one thing that you want people to do with your film. You want them to be able to relate and connect. And it, it was such a well done and well written film. And the actors, Alfre Woodard is just unbelievable. Oh. Yes. She she is just unbelievable. So could you could you talk about fatherhood a little bit, which, by the way, is number one on Netflix right now? <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. My husband did, you know, the was involved with that. He was he was more of the, the lead on that. But, you know, not but um, is when you hear Kevin Hart's name, you definitely perk up. Um, especially after watching his his docu series on Netflix, because he shows himself in such a vulnerability for those who haven't seen it. I won't give it away as well, um, and is quite apologetic. Um, and also um, looking at him as you know a father and a man, a man not yes. necessarily perfect and with flaws. Um, and so. It was almost like a no-brainer to be involved with fatherhood with, you know, Sony, Higher Ground, and Universal um, to portray him in such a way where a lot of people are commenting, Floyd, that he has such range. Yeah. Um, everybody that I've talked to and talked with have said that they cried, yes. that they laughed, that it was, like you said, relatable. Um, and, and, and they have experienced something, you know, in terms of loss that was very similar and also the family dynamics of, you know, the in-laws and, and, you know, <laughs> their, their own parents. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, for us at Braun is looking at content like that, giving people an opportunity where they never had an opportunity before as well. We've given people directorial debuts. We've given them an opportunity to play a character or a role or, or to support the films that they're in um, and not seen in a way like never before, which is really, really important because as you know, as, as we know sometimes in the film industry is there's not necessarily longevity for an actor. Yes. Um, so if you're able to show range in some of the characters that you play, that you know people want to watch um and then feel that you're not sort of typecasted um they're more than willing to you know um stay as your supporter and fan yeah and and all of that that you just mentioned happened and as i'm sitting there watching i'll, I'll just i'll just share one small scene when the young lady who he became interested in came back to the house and he started and she said i'm sorry that that happened to you and he said that's just it it didn't happen to me it didn't mm. and i said now wait a minute kevin you're not supposed to be, you're not supposed to be giving out emotional gut kicks like that because it was it, it just felt so visceral and so real and it really got to me and i was like wow because again i've been married for 33 years 
So sitting there watching that, you know, the the beautiful thing about this film is you were able to put yourself in his shoes. Mm. And when you can do that, you've won. Because after I watched it, I shared it on Facebook and I said, you know, shared a post. I said, look, if you guys haven't seen this film, go see it. And the comments, everybody was like, you know what? This film was so amazing. I would, like you said, I was so surprised. I didn't know he had it in him. And to a person, they all kept saying the same thing. I really liked where this film took me. It, it really was a phenomenal, phenomenal film. So, so kudos to, uh, to Aaron and yourself, because, you know, you guys are a partnership for, for, for actually putting, putting that together. But another film that I wanted to, cause I said, I'm going to touch on as many of them <laughs> as I can within this hour. Fences. Mm. Fences. Now, and I never actually, uh, got to see the August Wilson play. And that was actually the first, um, time that I'd ever seen Fences. So now how did that, how did that come about? Because that's um, a part of your, a, another division of Brian, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. That's more of our, you know, financing arm under Braun Creative. Mm -hmm. So that project came by way to Aaron again. Um, no brainer. Denzel, you know, Viola Davis. Yeah. Woo! The and August Wilson, I, I didn't have the good fortune either to see the play as well, which I'm regretting um, to this day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's honestly is when you have those three components just in terms of August Wilson and you have the leads of Denzel um, and Viola Davis, who you know are strong, but they also, you know that they're not going to be part of a project that's not meaningful to them, especially at this point in their career. And so in choosing it, just like, I remember reading the script going, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God, this is going to resonate with so many people and their frustrations and life in general about mm -hmm. what could have been. And yes. because you're a person of color and losing out on opportunities and having door after door being closed to you, it's just like, Honestly, it was it was it was very easy to make that decision and say we want to be a part of this, um, and we need to be a part of this, and that's what we want to continue doing. So, for us, is again, you know, looking at the content that is meaningful that can resonate with so many people, and, and to your point that we've mentioned is relatable. Relatable is so so important, and you know, still having the same conversations today. As we we're having back, you know, in the 1950s, 1940s, 19, you know, it, it, it hasn't changed. So how can we make change as content providers? I feel that I have an obligation to put that content out there um, and to show that there hasn't been any real change. But we are going to be still pushing through and breaking down those barriers. Hey, everybody, it's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment, and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode. To your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question.
And you know what? It's interesting because I watched um, an interview that you did a few years ago where you were basically talking about how it's like an obligation because things today, even though we are definitely dealing with some issues and major issues, if you compare it, as you said in the interview, to people that lived in the 1950s, the 60s, the 1800s, mm. there's really no comparison at all. And it's interesting because sometimes when I see small children, when I see black babies, sometimes I'll just imagine, and actually I had a conversation the other day, I can't remember who I had it with, and we were talking about babies because they're phenomenal. And could you imagine someone coming into your home, picking up your child and telling you that I'm about to sell them? Mm. So when I, when I listened to your interview and you were saying, you know, things are tough, but not the way they were. And again, we're dealing with issues. Fast forward to now where a lot of your content and you made a conscious choice and that can be, and, and you know what you said that really resonated with me. You said that it's not a risk. Yes. It's not a risk because of the fact that we need to put it out there because it needs to be seen. And really, if you're in this type of space, the creative space, and you're not willing to take a risk, then what is the point of being in that space? So can you speak to that? Absolutely. I don't like it when people say they're taking a risk. I don't like it when people are saying that they took a chance on me. No, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to showcase the talent. It's an opportunity to bring content out there and stories to life that possibly people didn't know. It's an opportunity to not only entertain, it's to educate and enlighten individuals, um, not just in North America, but globally. Some of these stories have been thrown away intentionally, have been burned. Books have been burned, as yes. you know. So here's an opportunity for us to say, not only as content providers, we can put it on screen for people to consume, let's make it part of our educational system. Let's advocate to put it into our curriculum. This is what we need to be doing. And also for us as people of color to not have that mindset where somebody took a risk on us, somebody took a chance on us. Oh my goodness, we should be so thankful. It's like, no, we need to tell these types of stories. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to see people that are more reflective of us. Because if you look around in America, you look around in Canada, you look around globally, there's tons of people of color. We don't necessarily always see that type of content. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so true. And more importantly, you don't always see a lot of good content showing us in the best light. Now, I am all for creating because that's what we do. But sometimes you get that pigeonhole where they want to put you in a box. Oh, you can't play that role. Oh, we, we can't make that type of movie for black people because they won't see it. I remember growing up in the 80s 
when Cosby first came out, and I'm dating myself, when Cosby first came out, the first thing people said was it's unrealistic because they were used to seeing good times. And I love good times. I love me some, 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 uh, some, some good times. Um, the Jeffersons, that's what they were used to seeing. So then here comes Heath and Claire, doctor, lawyer, kids are in school. No one's pregnant, but that's unrealistic. And you still get that today if the black person is a drug dealer or the mom doesn't have six kids and she's pregnant and she's on welfare. Well, that's that. Can you can you actually sell that? But then I look at what's coming out of Bron Media and it's like, hell yeah, you can sell it. Hell yeah, people will, will watch it. Fatherhood is an example of that. Mm. Fences is an example of that. And the next movie that we're going to talk about, Judas and the Black Messiah, is an example of that. So when people say, well, that won't work, it won't work until it does. It won't work until it does. So let's talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. That was one of my favorite movies. I was a little miffed at the end and throughout. <laughs> I was I was a little I was a little heated, you know. Got got in my black power, you know, in my black power mood because I was a little I was a little uh to say the least, I was a little heated. So how did that come about? Um that was that was a deal with Warner Brothers. Again, Aaron was the lead on that, and it was also an opportunity to work with Macro and participant um as well. So um and we've worked with Macro and past on a number of projects. Um so yeah, I mean again, starts with a story. Um, and also for people to not sort of solidify or reinforce negative stereotypes, mm -hmm. Fred Hampton is bringing people together. Yes. There was so much negative propaganda that was put up against him because the U.S. government feared the power that he had and what he was trying to do, as we know. And so, you know, these systems were put into place to make sure that discrimination, that opportunity and access was not there for people of color. And God forbid that we educate a person of color. Ooh, don't do that. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so again, it was, you know, all about the story and portraying people in a way that was educational and that was also intriguing, you know, tidbits that weren't known about him, his character, what he was trying to do, what he was trying to convey, and also his legacy in terms of his son, who's yes. doing this thing um, and advocating and had been and has been, pardon me, a part of the film, too. Yeah. And what, what you spoke of just a few seconds ago about people being educated, I remember one scene that really stuck out when he went to see uh, the group of white people and they were mm. like, what are they doing here? And then he started talking to them, to them about economics and who ain't getting it. And the thing that levels any playing field is the lack thereof. So if you don't have it and I don't have it, then none of us have it. And then you see another scene where they're all at the rally. Blacks, Hispanics, and whites all saying, Indians, all saying the same thing. 
So the government is looking at that saying, oh my goodness, we have an issue here. Yeah. Because if all of them are getting together and operating in one mind, then we have a problem. And that part really resonated with me because so often when we as people of color look to do things and, and get things together, then you have someone uh, that comes along that they have infiltrate a system to tear it down. And but but that was that was an absolutely amazing movie. But I understand that you guys have entered into a partnership with Warner Brothers. Did I read that correctly? We have. Uh, yeah, we had um, previously we have a six picture deal with them. Okay. So Joker was part of that slate of movies as well. Um, so, yeah, the Joker. Wow. <laughs> that. First of all, Mr. Phoenix is such an amazing actor. He, 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 his range is, is just phenomenal. And it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about the scene where he was in the kitchen where he crawled into the refrigerator. That wasn't even in the script. Mm -hmm. But he just crawled into the refrigerator and they said, well, what is he doing? And he said, keep pulling the camera. Keep pulling the camera. That type of talent. Well, you know what? Let me ask you this because I didn't ask you this for any other previous films. Were you guys ever on set to see anything filmed in, in, in any of the films? Were you guys on, on any of the sets? Um, sometimes we are. Sometimes we're not. Not not on Joker. We weren't able to make it onto set. Okay. Um, just because we're you know in various stages of development. You know probably um, over a hundred projects. You know various stages of production and development. So it's hard to be everywhere at right. any point in time, especially when our home base is Vancouver. Okay. Um, as much as we like to. It's uh, it's uh, unfortunately. I, I wish I could do something where I could be you know everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, 2020, 2020, mm. how did that affect Bron Media? And did you guys, when, when everything really started to happen and, and shut down, was there a pivot? Because a lot of times, a lot of companies did not pivot. And they got caught off guard. So how were you guys able to to um, handle last year? Um, initially, you know, we haven't gone through something like this, mm -hmm. uh, but um, as you know, founder, as a founder led company, you have to adapt. Yes. You have to figure out things. Um, not one day is lost that I don't realize that I'm responsible for the livelihood of not just you know our internal crew and employees, but also people on a per project basis, which amounts to thousands of people per year. So um, we are lucky that we have so many different components to um, Braun that you had you know talked about earlier. So we have Braun Studios for film and TV, both narrative and non-scripted, Braun Animation, and underneath that is Braun Digital. And why I mentioned that specifically is um, we did even prior to COVID, um, we were putting mirroring systems between um, our offices in Vancouver and Los Angeles to have virtual production in animation and particularly animated series using the Unreal game engine. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so also we were wanting to have virtual production because we wanted to attract um, talent globally. Because as we know, there's talent all over the world um, and talent all over the world and globally means different perspectives and makes you know content that much richer, whether it's animation or whether it's in the narrative space. So um, when we went on full on lockdown, we were in production already just because we were putting systems in place um, for bra and digital. Did we have to push some pro um, productions? Absolutely. Um, we actually had Dev Patel um, prepping in India and in March of 2020, and we had to fly everybody back uh, and then reset in Indonesia, um, which we did. We finished the film um, in Indonesia as well. So it's Dev Patel's directorial debut. Um, but yeah, we had to think about different ways. And luckily, we have so many different con you know, pieces of content and projects that we're working on both whether we take a lead producer role or not, um, and whether it's a financial role. And we also have our venture companies where we've invested in 10 different companies as well. They're all production companies right now, no first look deals. Um, and the deal for each particular company is different. Oh, wow, that's interesting. But I, I, you know what, I wanna go back to the virtual space for just a second because the fact that you guys were being so innovative and thinking so far ahead, because when everything was was shutting down, you had you had platforms of Disney, uh, the Netflix and everything where um, they kind of sped up their timetable to where how they're doing movies now, releasing them, releasing first run um, films on streaming platforms, which drove a lot, which drove the movie theaters absolutely crazy. And they were they were talking about the fact that that was something that they hadn't planned on doing for at least another five years, five years or so. So the fact that you guys were so innovative and forward thinking and saying, hey, you know what, this is a space that we need to get into right now, you know, even before anything happened so that when it did happen, you guys didn't miss a beat. And so many companies didn't do that. They said, oh, you know what? No, we'll wait. We'll wait. So, so was was that an entire team decision? Because I, I want people to understand that sometimes, and I hate saying think outside the box because I don't believe there should be there's a box at all. Mm. So, was that just you guys saying, "Hey, we're just going to go all in and we're going to just think outside the norm"? I'll just say outside the lines. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every everything at Braun is outside of the norm. And uh, Floyd, I don't believe in boxes as well. Mm -hmm. I believe that there's so many different shapes out there, but the boxes, you know, um, unfortunately confine us to a space and we can't, you know, there's the line and we can't go over it. So we definitely were thinking, um, you know, outside of what other people were thinking. It wasn't just we wanted to be different. It was just how can we produce premium animated content in a different way that was efficient. And um, really, um, it was the brainstorm of Jason Chen, who runs our digital team. So we met him on one of our movies on the set of Those Who Wish Me Dead with Angelina Jolie, and he was our VFX soup there. So he was showing us these beautiful visual visuals and, you know, concept art and things like that that had been, you know, pushed through the Unreal game engine 
Um, and we're also lucky to be supported by Epic Games as well in this endeavor. But yeah, it's, um, and we also, you know, what also really helped us too was that not knowingly is that we had um, our film animated um, feature, full-length feature film, The Willoughby's on Netflix yes. last um, And so that really helped, you know, showcase some of the artwork, you know, in terms of the animation space, because Braun is much, you know, known much more for the narrative full-length feature films because the old way of doing things in terms of animation mm. takes so much longer, um, you know, three, four years, five years, you know, um, before it, you can churn something out. And this way, we felt if we pivoted, um, even prior to COVID, if we pivoted, we were able to do things a little bit more quickly. Now, I'm going to double down just a little bit on pivoting. I, I really want you to help a new filmmaker or an intermediate filmmaker or that filmmaker that season that may be having some difficulty the power of a, of a pivot mm. the power of a pivot because this podcast that we're talking on was started during covid i had to pivot wow. because um the interviews that i'm doing now they were actually planned to be live and then he shut everything down so i said well i could sit and wait until it opens back up or i can pivot so can you just talk to these filmmakers about the power of a pivot about the power of just doing it and not being afraid to do it even though it might not work but just as as we talked about earlier being that risk taker because there's going to be someone listening to this right right now or in the future or they could be watching it right now saying i don't know if i should what would you say to that filmmaker or that, that content creator? Oh, yeah, I have something that I sort of live by that took me a few years to realize is the four P's. Um, so it's the passion, the passion for the art of story, um, to put the content out there um, for storytelling. It's also the purpose. What is my purpose? Am I committed? I think you put a post out about, you know, taking an in inventory in terms of your level of commitment. Yes. So if you really believe in what you do, you know, stick to it. And that's my third P is, you know, the perseverance and also being patient. Um, so, you know, really thinking about your strategy. What do you want to do? Um, do you wake up every day? And, and say, this is what I want to do. This is my life. Or do you feel like, oh, it's more of a chore. It's, you know, it's heavy on my shoulders. It's weighing me down. And do you go to bed at night content that you accomplish something? You know, that's the key is, you know, what is your sense of accomplishment? And I know that it's relative and subjective to an individual. But the excitement for what you're doing has to always be there in some capacity. And I get it in terms of being fatigued. You know, my days are quite long every day. Um, and, you know, also managing um, a household with three kids and two dogs. So I, I totally, totally get it. Um, but that's that's the that's the advice that I would give to people is, you know, the four P's of passion, purpose, perseverance and patience. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that my phone actually ran. 
boy. That's like when you're in an audition and your phone rings and the casting director is looking at you saying, did your phone just ring? Wow. <laughs> yeah, my phone just rang. That was, and actually, that was my sister. That's, um, that's interesting. She's probably calling me to tell me how great uh, this uh, podcast is. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit because we're, we're almost out of time. I don't want to keep you. You are on the board of directors for B-A-N-F-F. Actually, you're on a few boards because I was, I was talking with Sarah yesterday. And she's like, oh, she's on two more boards. So you're on the board of, uh, because I, I want to get this right, the B-A-N-F-F Television Festival Foundation alongside some dynamic women. I actually read up on that uh, yesterday and today. So could you explain to the audience exactly what that organization is about? Absolutely. Um, and you just don't happen to get on a board. Um, it's, it's quite an honor to be asked to one to be part of a board and then they have to actually vote you in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, with, with BAMP is it's a, a worldwide media festival that attracts talent and studio heads and agencies and studios from all over the world to it's, it's like a market and a festival all in one. And so as a board member is you have the responsibility of bringing conversations to light, bringing good people to light. We have a wonderful um, executive director, Jen Kuzmik, who believed in inclusivity. And I participated in a lot of conversations there um, where the rooms were filled with people that looked like you and me, Floyd, and others, and a lot of women and people that were actually not just moving the dial, but creating new dials for themselves and others and opportunity. Um, so it's it's about, you know, deals get made at this particular festival, access created. Um, you can, you know, broaden your network. You can share your network. You can look at things in a different perspective. They have conversations, they have panels, they have Q and A's and things like that. So um, it's 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 a real honor to be part of this board and to be asked part and to be part of this board and also be a major influence in terms of the content that they're trying to put together. Um, and they take, you know, six months to put this um, festival together to make sure that they have the right people there, that they have the right conversations there, that they have the right content there, including screenings and things like that. Um, so it's 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 just quite the honor to be part of that particular board. Wow, that sounds extremely exciting. So would you say that with the current climate that Hollywood is really doing its best to make a shift and make a change? Because of course, you know, we had we had Oscar So White and then we had other things, and actually I read the uh the UCLA UCLA diversity report for 2019 and I was I was amazed at how the higher you go the wider it gets but do you do you see Hollywood making a concerted effort to really change the boardroom because as you said earlier if you look at America it's a melting pot. If you look at Canada, it's it's a, you know, a plethora of color. And that's something that um, is talked about on Clubhouse a lot. In, in one room, New Hollywood, 
hence the title new hollywood and and they talk about looking to change the dynamics and the color of hollywood so in your opinion do you think hollywood is really making that effort to do that um i think so if you have people like me you have that room that has people at the very top level with you know vast amount of experience absolutely and we've all you know during covid in particular have um, formed these allyships. Um, so as we know, it's strength by numbers. And this will date me once again, as you know, the old adage, united we stand, divided we fall. Yes, we're, we're dating ourselves together. <laughs> <laughs> we're dating ourselves together. Um, I, I do think that there's change that's being made. And I think that we just have to strive to keep doing it because if we're still talking about it, we haven't made that effective change. If we're not talking about it, we've already seen it and done it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and, and with that, you're also, because I want to keep these right. That's why I'm looking down reading, ladies and gentlemen, because I want to keep this right. I don't want to get this wrong. Um, with Zazamo, that's um, the AAPI. And and that when when you first talked about that, I said, "Wow, that sounds really exciting." So, could you tell people what what that's about and exactly what um, you and Zazamo will be doing for um, Asian Asians in in the um, the Hollywood space? Absolutely, um, I truly believe in you know helping out many different um, communities, and you know regardless of. Who they are and, and of course very passionate about helping people from you know the BIPOC and the API or AAPI communities. Um, Zosimo and I met on Clubhouse and um, I had offered um, Sarah who's from my office her email address oh, boy. <laughs> to, to contact me you know because I really truly um, want to be supportive mm -hmm. and so I'm really a person of my word um, because my grandmother told me many years ago your word is gold never yes. go back on it never go back on it she <laughs> she and, and so I've always remembered that and I always try to stay true to my word um, also given my bandwidth so I try to do things you know as quickly as I can if when I can mm -hmm. So Zosima and I um, met because he had contacted me because of my offer. And um, we decided that we want to help each other. How are we going to help each other? And he had, you know, formed this collective of Asians and Pacific Islanders that said, you know, we, we have been doing this. We're writers. We've written for, you know, different TV shows. We've directed we have so many years of experience. We've participated in, you know, all the these, you know, fellowships and things like that, all these programs. But yet we're still not getting the opportunities just because of the color of our skin. Right. Um, and so Zoss and I have been working on so it's really him that started it. I can't really take the credit. I came on board a little bit later. We have met twice with um, the more, you know, seasoned veterans um, that uh, have been in this space, in the entertainment space. And we're putting together a plan um, in terms of having possibly a town hall, a conversation about tangibles. Not just saying we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And so it also keeps me accountable. It keeps the AAPI creative group accountable, but also the individuals that we're talking to. So we go out to studios and we go out to organizations that have clout 
and credibility in quotes, mm-hmm. um, you know, because that that's questionable right now too. A lot of people are questioning the credibility of some of these organizations is that we want to make sure that if they say they're going to do something, okay, so when can we do this by let's regroup and we'll make sure that we'll regroup in a week or two weeks time. So we've met with the, the leadership group on the AAPI twice already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be meeting with the other group, um, I believe either tomorrow or next week as well, just to talk about certain things. So we're already formulating plans. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have done internally, though, is if somebody is a filmmaker and wanting to get some points and some feedback is I've actually um, asked some of our internal crew to help them. So some people that have done some films and things like that or have scripts, um, our, our team has given them feedback on it um, and also making, you know, um, helping them with their network as well and introducing them to people within within the community. That sounds amazing. And the thing that I really admire about you and more importantly your company is the fact that everything that i've read because i just i had to go digging i said i'm not going to come on here unprepared the one thing that kept reoccurring the one thing that was constant throughout everything let's let's take the 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 oscar nominations off the table let's take the six oscar uh wins for you know various films all of that let's take that off the table and the thing that really stood out to me the most was your willingness and your doggedness that i am going to help people Mm -hmm. i'm going to help people and i i was just so impressed by that and touched by that because it's not often that people are in a position that you are in and that you're willing to reach back because you don't have to. And see, this is the thing, ladies and gentlemen, she does not have to because, you know, they have a lot of things going on. But the fact that you take time out of your day to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to help the next person and I'm going to help the next person. I'm going to help the next person because in turn, if I help them, they in turn can help someone else. So I really love that about everything that you guys do. And we're almost we're almost done. But before we get out of here, I have to talk about Bron Live and the partnership that you guys have made with Mr. Crump to, um, you know, uh, produce, I should say, material surrounding um, marginalized people. Uh, people that have been wrongfully accused and things like that. So could you could you talk about that a little bit? And then we're going to wrap this up because I don't want to keep you any longer than I have to. I'm good, Floyd. Okay. I, I love talking to you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, yeah, um, my colleague, or who's our chief marketing officer, Cassandra Butcher, introduced me formally to um, Mr. Benjamin Crump. And as a Canadian, he educated me a little bit more just in terms of the judicial system and talked about specific cases that he was representing. So um, this is in 2018. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about stand your ground laws, 
And by the end of the conversation, which was about an hour and a half long, I had tears. I was crying throughout the whole conversation, mm. wiping my face the whole time. And I was thinking, how does this man have the time? How does he have the energy? How does he have the strength to do what he's doing? Because thinking about even just one case, you know, George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, think about how emotionally and physically you're exhausted from that. And you're not on the ground. Like, I'm not on the ground dealing with this and dealing with the families and dealing with the court system and the police and et cetera. And he is on that pavement, right? He is working his ass off to do all these types of things. So, you know, when he was thinking about putting some content out there and he was he was looking to, you know, a number of studios and a number of individuals, um, I could not fake my emotion and how touched I was. Mm -hmm. And he saw that. So he wasn't pitching to, you know, an executive that felt so far removed and wanted to make a quick buck. It was he knew that he had trust in me, he had trust in my husband Aaron, he had trust in Braun just in terms of doing the right thing. Um, and so that's really how that came about is just, you know, let's do something together. We don't necessarily know what that's going to look like, mm -hmm. um, but we really, really were compelled to work with each other. Um, and um, yeah, so that's that's how the story goes there. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to whatever comes out of that camp, because I know, first of all, it's going to be well done and it's going to be riveting and it's going to be hard hitting and it's going to make people think, which is a, a, a great combination. So what is next for Braun Media Corporation? Um. Definitely diving into the unscripted world a lot more and telling, you know, these stories from a different view, a different scope like never before. Um, really looking at our content and thinking about how can other ways, uh, how can we have other ways just in terms of it being much more of an immersive experience, whether it's on the narrative unscripted or animated side of things. Um, continue to give people opportunities, continue to give people access, um, continue to really shepherd these young filmmakers and creatives by way of our black and brown incubators initiative that we have, again, led by Cassandra Butcher um, and China Martin, James Carroll as well. So um, it's just really, really important for me um, to keep giving opportunities um, in a very unique way um, also giving them, you know, access to our different departments so that they are able to get feedback from people that have experience in certain aspects and also have experience in, in, in different studios, which I don't have. I've never worked for a studio before because I've created my own. Oh, okay. uh, so taking that experience, you know, the good of that, um, you know, and taking away the politics and the bureaucracy and whatnot, and again, helping give a lending hand to individuals that are seeking that guidance, that are seeking, you know, some feedback like they've never had before. That's what's really, really important, um, whether it's, you know, some mentorship, even if it's an hour conversation or half hour. I've also arranged for people to do that as well, um, which is really important. So look forward to seeing even more content from Braun, even more studio collaborations. Um, 
even more access to individuals. That sounds exciting. You know, I am so excited. Clubhouse is amazing. <laughs> I just got to say Clubhouse is Clubhouse is amazing. So how can people find you on social media? Um, yeah, it's interesting because I, I don't um, look at how many people are following me, but um, mostly on Instagram, it's um, at Brenda A. Gilbert. Um, and then I have a Facebook page as well. And I'm, I'm not as much on Twitter and, and also on LinkedIn as well. So not too difficult to find me. There's not too many people that I think look like me. <laughs> okay. And that is a phenomenal headshot. That, that's a phenomenal headshot that you have. It's really, it's really on point. But as far as your Instagram account, I said, I know I said we were about to go, but I just have to say this. Brenda gives you such a Zen-like feeling when you go on her Instagram page. When you go on her Instagram page, you kind of feel as though you need to light some incense or a candle and play some soothing music in the background because her Instagram page is just filled with so many things that fill you up and just, you know, get you in the right frame of mind. So I would highly recommend just for the content alone, follow her on Instagram. If you're really trying to have an even keeled day, her stuff is great. The post you put up today about, uh, you know, the lessons being learned from the four P's. I read that and I said, well, you know what? That's a repost right there because that was so, and it's so funny as I was reading it, people started flitting through my mind mm. in each scenario, the good, the bad, the horrible, you know, so, but yes, but Brenda, this was absolutely amazing. I would just like to thank you for spending an hour and a little more of your time with me and my audience. And uh, if there are any parting words, please share. Absolutely. I'll, I'll share something a little bit personal um, in terms of those those quotes that you're talking about. So last year, April 2020, um, I wasn't feeling so great emotionally. And, and, and it was my birthday and I'd planned all these things. I'd planned a party in Los Angeles. I'd planned a party in Vancouver. I was going to actually go away for the first time with um, three of my really, really good friends and, and take some time away from work because, you know, work consumes me. And so um, I did this sort of 360 and said, what are you doing, girl? You cannot be like this when so many other people are much more challenged than you that don't have a roof over their heads, that don't have food on their table, that don't even have their family nearby. Mm -hmm. And so... It was actually supposed to be a post that was supposed to go up every day in uh, April. And um, I've continued it because so many people have come out and said to me or sent me DMs and things like that, that please continue this. I look forward to your posts every single day because it, it motivates me, inspires me. I'm feeling the same way that, you know, this post is sort of reaching out to me. So that's why I post what I do um, and have not missed a post since April 1st of 2020. Wow. Wow. Do, do you listen to a gentleman by the name of Ed Milet? Have you ever heard of Ed Milet? No. 
gentleman by the name of Ed Milet, he's a personal development um, guy that I listen to, phenomenal. And he has a saying, things don't happen to you, they happen for you. Mm. And he talks about even things that you may not agree with happening for you as opposed to to you. And as you were relaying that story, that, that is a perfect example of something happening for you because by that happening for you, you not feeling your best, you then turn that into something that is now helping thousands of people. So it didn't happen to you, it happened for you. And by it happening for you, it happened for other people. So that's, uh, that's my guy. So we're going to close with that. This has been amazing. This has been fun. And ladies and gentlemen, if you've learned anything, if you've taken anything away, please do yourself a favor. Incorporate it into your daily life. Incorporate it into your daily routine, personal as well as business. Because some of the things that you've heard today, you wouldn't get anywhere else. This was a master class. And Brenda was gracious enough to, you know, donate her time. And we are so appreciative of it. And Brenda, I would just, again, like to thank you for gracing the stage on a conversation with. And that is it. Everyone have an absolutely amazing evening and the rest of your week. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you, Floyd. Thank you. Thank you.